Mac Power Users, episode 399, Workflows with our old pal Merlin Mann. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie? I'm great, David. Glad to have Merlin back on the show for episode 399. Yes. Merlin, you are the original workflow guest, so I couldn't think of anybody better to have for 399 than you. Thank you for coming back. Uh, it's exciting. Right at the turn of the century. This is big stuff. Congratulations. Yeah, no, we're not messing around. We're not messing around. Mm-mm. But the uh, for those new to the show, uh, after we had been making Mac Power Users for, it was, uh, I think, about a year, um, I-, I wanted to bring on different voices. It was, you know, Katie and I have some opinions and it's great sharing them, but there's other people worth listening to. And the very first person I wanted to do this with was Merlin, and he was nice enough to come on the show so long ago. And it's just, we're both really thrilled to have you back again. That's amazing how much uh, has changed over that time. It feels like <clears throat> back in the day, so many of our discussions, at least my interest was in things like, how do you get your text files onto your phone? You know, do you use simple note? Like, what do you use? And now like that's, it's such a mostly solved problem for those kinds of things. And now the way that we interact with these devices is changing so much. It's, it's kind of a different world. Yeah, I, I thought I remember uh, having a, a very long phone conversation with you once about, you know, writing a book and trying to figure out how to keep my text on the the iPhone and then later iPad and synchronize without breaking things breaking. And now it's like there's there's probably five different apps I could think of that do that with no trouble whatsoever. I think everybody was using Simple Note back in the day is I don't even know if that's still around. Yeah. That was the that was the original, and they had their own syncing for it, if memory serves. And now you can get Scrivener on an iPad. It's amazing. Uh, I think iCloud Kit doesn't get enough credit. Um, I mean, it, because it's just so fun to make, you know, to take shots at Apple in the cloud. But um, the iCloud Kit, the iCloud background sync thing, uh, it, of course, it started with some rough patches, but in a lot of ways, there's a lot of apps that that I rely upon that have that as a foundation. And uh, it, it's one of those things that kind of just sneaks up on you. Well, and allegedly, now we've got text syncing now, the, all those text shortcuts finally syncing now. We'll see. Is that working now? I had heard rumor it might be. No. No? I, I saw the thing Gruber et al. were saying that it was moving to CloudKit or whatever, but yeah, that's been notoriously... Bad. iffy for me for a couple of years now it's funny because uh, that's the iCloud feature that I literally forgot existed because I'd given up on it you know every time for years every time there was a new iOS update I would say okay maybe I'll get the text uh, snippet thing to sync over and of course it doesn't I, I quit my job uh, over two and a half years ago and it still occasionally spits out my old firm's phone number and I don't know, you know, I delete that and it comes back. It's like, it won't, it's like haunting me. <laughs> when it was impossible to know how to troubleshoot because as people have said, it was very, it was erratic in terms of what broke how, when and where, where sometimes it would only sync old ones. Sometimes it would only sync new ones. Sometimes it just seemed like it needed, it was like my old uh, black and white TV when I was a kid. Somebody just needed to smack it on top and it seemed to start working again. And other times it just wouldn't work at all. It just, it was, it's very perplexing. Um, I'm glad to see them. It's always encouraging when there's something in the Apple world that you find very useful, but in your heart, you wonder how much of a hobby is this? How much is this a halftime project for one person? It's always nice to see a little wood behind the arrow when it comes to something that you actually really rely on. And so Apple has uh, told John Gruber 
that they are intending to move the back end for that text syncing to CloudKit, which is what drives everything that works in CloudKit and, and iCloud. So hopefully that's a good sign that that'll get fixed soon. But that's actually not why we're here. Um, well, it kind of is, I guess, why we're yeah, here. Yeah, it's kind of why we're so here. We're here to talk yeah. about all this stuff. By the way, mine are still broken. I just deleted all my old addresses and signatures. So. Oh, no. Never mind. I spoke too soon. But maybe, maybe now that Gruber's written about it, maybe now they'll fix it. Well, what they said to him was that they are fixing it, and it will happen, I guess, in the next couple months. So knock on wood. Anyway, um, one of the things that's changed, I know, talking to you, Merlin, is you are doing a lot more with iOS. I mean, you've always been a, a, an iPhone power user, but you're doing a lot more with iPad than than you had done the last time we spoke. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been kind of a funny thing. The um, <clears throat> the iPad Pro um, is so powerful. It's got, it's got, I mean, even without being, uh, I mean, I don't know that much. I mean, I can open Geekbench and I can see that it's got lots of numbers, but it feels fast. It feels capable. And there's, it's increasingly the iPad, the, the latest iPad Pro 9.7 inch. 10.5 is the smaller one. 10.5, 10.5 is, is, is currently like my go-to device. Like, uh, you know, I got, I try to keep everything powered up, but you know, all the things being equal, if I'm just banging around the house, uh, I'll use it to everything from like the stupid stuff like email and Twitter, uh, to increasingly some fairly sophisticated things with a keyboard attached to, you know, I want to do dishes. I don't even use a Bluetooth speaker anymore. I'm either using uh headphones or I'm, you can really turn that thing up and it still sounds really good. It's become a very capable device, which I'll just say in passing. Seeing that there were not a lot of updates to the hardware and especially the software, there's a period where things were a little slow. It's it's been very encouraging to to see these things getting as powerful as they are and to not just sort of drift away, you know. There by the you know, there seemed like there was a time where like the iPad mini was a pretty great idea, pretty affordable. And then it just felt like there was this period where you're like, hmm, are are you guys still really doing this? Is this something you're really gonna do? And so obviously iOS eleven and what it has brought. Um, it's just, I feel like I'm really just reappreciating what a great device the iPad in particular is. Yeah. When I was up at WWDC, I heard from a few people, uh, that, that implied to me that there's a lot more focus back on their core products now that the, the whole car thing has kind of gone to the, the backseat. Hmm, really? See, see how I did that? I just kind of saw what you did there, but that's really yeah. true. That's the kind of thing that we speculate about on podcasts, but somebody, Kind of off on background, confirm that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what to think. Lots of people with badges walking around WWC. Who knows what they really mean? I think. Yeah. What, what gear are you using these days? So you've got a 10.5-inch iPad. Did you get the cellular one? Or are you just uh, Wi-Fi? And... No, I mean, I'm... I'm a fancy lad. You know, I've got a couple iPads. But the one my the go-to is that, you know, the latest... Uh, I just I ran Geekbench on a few of our devices the other day just for fun, and uh, I was pretty amazed at like at just how powerful number wise that thing is. But yeah, so f- I mean, one that you and I talked about that I, I had done in the past, but I've recently returned to, and this is admittedly very nerdy, but I I don't l- if I have to do a lot of typing, I don't love doing that on the screen on an iPad. It's it, for the longest time, I felt I had gotten so fast at typing on my iPhone, maybe two or three OSs ago. And for some reason, I, I suddenly started getting all kinds of weird typos. I would have lots of words that got a comma and the letter M in them. 
I got a lot of things where I'd have an A in the middle because I meant to hit capital. You know what I mean? There's just those all I think I imagine that everybody's got their ticks like this with stuff that it just kind of falls short. But I've had occasion in the last few months, especially as I've been playing with iOS 11, to hook it up with a keyboard. I don't love the keyboard in the case. I It just doesn't work for me. What I will do is grab my Logitech. I have a couple Logitech keyboards, which uh, if you don't, if, for folks who aren't familiar with the Logitech family, one of the, well, for example, the one I have in front of me right now that is my go-to keyboard at work is a solar keyboard. It, uh, it has never been out of power. It's the Logitech K760, which is pretty old. But I think pretty much all the Logitechs have a really neat feature, which is they have these three Bluetooth buttons on them such that when you tap them, you can associate them with different devices. So nerdy, right? But I could be using this to control my 5K iMac, but also hit the number two key and now be typing on my iPad. Further to that point, you can get all Captain Kirk on this. That's for you, Katie. And you can you can have two iPads up and running and be using the keyboard with that. And I guess I hadn't done that in a while and I was just blown away with how much more how how fast and how integrated and how really powerful that feels today in a way I don't remember a year or two ago. And, and something I said to you, David, that, that I'm really noticing is I feel like I, I don't, I'm not going to say it's rare, but I don't have to touch the screen with my finger to do stuff as much as I used to. There's so much that you can do now on an iPad with a nice keyboard that it really is starting to feel more like, you know, this really is a contender uh, for most laptops, you know, as the laptops lose all these ports and lose a lot of their computerness, the iPad feels more and more like this very, very capable computer. And uh, yeah, I'm loving it. What portion of the time would you say that you use a keyboard? I actually kind of went the other route and did the keyboard case. And I find I'm using it all the time, but it sounds like you're keeping yours separate. You know, I bought it for this and I tried it and I, I'll probably try it again at some point, but it feels like it would be putting it too strongly to say it's the worst of both worlds, but it's definitely not the best of both worlds. I love this little skinny iPad with the cover on. It's just this little thing. If I can barely notice it in my hand, I love that as a device on its own. I love using it with a relatively robust keyboard. That's like a separate keyboard. I never, or I haven't yet gotten comfortable with how it feels to type on that thing. And I bet I could, but you, you, that's been a good transition for you. you you're pretty comfortable typing on, are you, are you, do you have the big boy iPad or are you using the huge no, iPad? No, no, no. I, I tried it and lasted about three days and packed it back in the box and sent it away. Now I'm using the 10.5 and I used the, I used the 9.7 before that. And the 9.7, the keyboard case that Apple makes was good. And the 10.5, it's, it's even better, but I just keep it on there all the time. And I love just having a, a keyboard case wherever I go now. Yeah, I need to spend more time with that because it, it really it really is powerful and it's very clever, but it does make it a little bit thicker and I don't love the keyboard yet. So as far as the percentage, right now, honestly, like a very small amount of the time, like most of my mornings, I'm banging around at home, getting ready for the day, figuring stuff out. I got usually my notebook and my MacBook adorable. Um, but sometimes like in the afternoon, like a, as a Santa David, like a, a lot of what I have to do that nobody even really needs to know about, but ends up being a big part of how I spend my time is things related to podcasts involving, it could be show notes, it could be coming up with titles. Like for every episode, uh, I do a show with, with John Syracuse called Reconcilable Differences, and that's pretty much my baby to take care of. Somebody else does the editing, but I go through, I listen to the two-hour podcast, I pull out the titles, I pull out uh, the things that we talked about, I kind of sweat the show notes a little bit because I'm weird like that. 
And that is something where the iPad has been great, where I'll, I'll sit down with like maybe in the afternoon, my kids hanging out playing Minecraft and I'll be working on that. And you can have, you know, two sides up I, over here. I've got overcast and over here I've got notes or, um, or, uh, oh my God, I'm having such a brain fart. What is my favorite text editor that I use all the time? Um, you know, the one with the little asterisk boy on it. What's it called? Oh God, cut this out. This is so embarrassing. What's the app that I love? <laughs> it's not editorial. Editorial, of course. Drafts. So right now, like the dock on my phone, I'm looking at my phone right now. It's, it's my dock on the phone is Safari, one password, drafts and, um, editorial. And uh, I do most of my text editing editorial. But long story short, not a huge amount of the time because a lot of times that really is faster to like be listening on the iPad while I'm typing on the MacBook Adorable. But it's surprisingly capable. It's it's one one thing that's interesting also is how Notes has gotten so much better. It's become much more attractive to me to use Notes. It's never felt very scalable, but I'm ready to make a go of that for most of what I do. I love being able to share that and having that up in two panes on the screen with a uh, with a keyboard is just it's ace. It works so well. I'm hearing from a lot of listeners that are, you know, from the traditional text files, you know, uh, text storage system who are trying and dipping their toes into notes and liking it. I, I did the same thing and I, I wrote a book about Markdown and how to use text editing. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, Apple did a really good job with notes and it's uh, because it's made by the vendor that makes the hardware and the operating system. It's got hooks all over the place. It's just so easy to get stuff into notes and like the drag and drop implementation is so good. But I want to wind back for a second though. Um, the idea of using a single keyboard to drive your iPad and your iMac at the same time, I think is, is really powerful uh, when you think about it. Cause there are things that even when I'm sitting at my iMac, I will do on an iPad because they're faster, easier, or more delightful. Um, so that's a really good idea. Yeah, I, I, I totally, I totally agree. I totally agree. And it doesn't happen all the time, but there are times when it's, when it's really handy. One, one quick thing on notes, um, you know, being an Apple user in so many things becomes, a, it's a, about trade-offs in some ways. So one reason I don't use notes for lots of things is something I do a little bit that I know I should be doing more is voice related stuff. And when you get into voice stuff and you get into Siri in particular, you get into some weird namespace pollution. This comes up with using OmniFocus with Siri, where, you know, I've had to go in and because I really want to use Siri on uh, with Siri with OmniFocus, I've had to go rename some things. So it's not confused. Like if there's two things that have, as you certainly know, if there's two things that have the word house in the name of the, what they call a list that gets confused, you end up having to choose. So with notes, like I, I try to name them very intuitively and with very short things, you know, so I can just say, you know, um, add this to my Ellie books note or something like that. That's the main reason. And so at, when, when I'm using NV alt and a couple thousand text files, I could have show notes for every episode of all of my different podcasts, but I don't have to worry too much about namespace pollution because those text files are very keyboard driven I'm trying to get smarter about, and I'm, I'm very new to this, but I'm trying to get smarter about naming things in a way that comports with voice control because it kind of feels like the future. So that, that's, that's, that's the main reason. Yeah. But, but part of me feels like that's a failure by the software company, by Apple and Google. I mean, they should get good enough that we don't have to think about name pollution in our voice for voice recognition. It, it should be good enough not to do that. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, uh, now you said you you're using two iPads. So one is the 10.5. What's the other one? 9.7. Hmm. 
Okay, so they're relatively the same size. You've got the the last generation and the new generation. I don't do that very much because that makes even me feel like a little bit of a dork. But it can be pretty great because now you could have like four windows open. And it's it it's fun as a proof of concept experiment, but it also can be really surprisingly powerful. I, I'm still getting my head around the really remembering to use the split screen thing. Um, so I'm a dummy. The the swipe from the side of the screen to create a second pane, that's gone away, right? You now can only do it with dragging up, right? I'm still I'm still not used to that. Um, that still feels a little frustrating. I love that you can pull something out of spotlight and drag it up next to something, but that takes uh, that still feels fairly acrobatic to me. And that's getting your finger back on the screen. You know, it's you a two finger. It's at least a two finger operation, and it's amazing that it works at all. But it is. I'm still really getting used to that. But yeah, that's frequently how I'll do it. That you. Uh, I mean, certainly not everybody has two iPads sitting around, but. But that is that can be a good way to roll. Uh, I have to share one trick that has kind of changed everything for me. I, I might be overstating that, but something I discovered accidentally when I was typing one day. I mean, it's come a long way. Switching apps is great. It's you've got it. You've got your command tab to move between apps on an iPad. That works great. You get around real easy. Something I discovered accidentally. I, I would I would forget like if I had to find something that was not in the dock or wasn't a recent app. I would, you know, set aside the keyboard, I'd take my finger, I'd pull down the spotlight, I'd put my finger in the field, and I'd start typing, because that feels like the way to get there, right? Well, anybody who's good at this knows, no, you don't have to do that, because guess what? Command space will always take you right to spotlight. Like, I, I know you guys know that, but like, if you haven't tried this yet, first be aware that wherever you are on your iPad, if you have a keyboard attached, anywhere you are, Regardless of what app is open, you hit command space and you start typing and you're now in spotlight. The next great thing, and this is what really blew me away, is that if you start typing, let's say I start typing tweetbot, I type T-W-E-E-T, you don't even have to arrow down to select. If it is the first thing that it has found that matches, you don't have to hit any keys at all. It auto selects, you hit enter, and now you've changed your experience of the iPad. It's not just about flipping around between some recent apps. You can get anywhere that you need to be anytime by hitting command space. Suddenly, this is like Quicksilver for the iPad in some ways. And it's been, it's been a game changer for me. It makes it so much more useful. Yeah, it was, it was the funny thing with, with iOS 10, and I def, definitely don't want to go back to iOS 10. I am a big fan of what they've done with iOS 11. But you kind of did that in iOS 10. I felt like it was kind of gaming the system, but you, you know, you had the right side and the left side and the right side was the one you could change. And what I would always do is on the right side, I would pick the permanent app. Like if I'm dealing with email, then that would be the the right side app. And intuitively, the way they made the operating system, they would want you to put the email on the left side and then use the right side to switch between apps. But if you put email on the right side, then you could use that command space trick to open up Spotlight and just jump between apps on the left side of the screen, and it would just change all day. Um, it's it's kind of weird. Now it's a little different, though. Now it's it is you're right, pulling up from the bottom and and and, and pulling away from Spotlight as well. So, um, yeah, you know, it's I don't know that there is a perfect answer to all of this. Uh, well, one of the things for me is, is I have. Um, removed all my apps from my iPad there. Everything is in the dock about halfway through the beta. I realized that, um, the prime real estate on the iPad now is the dock and it's the desktop is like a second class citizen app, you know, to get to it, you have to tap and push buttons and move things around. Um, 
to the point now I have literally everything in my talk. How many, what's the official cap on that? How many things can you put in there? Um, well, what I've done is I, I've always had uh, Katie crib from gray, that idea of the four app folders. And I kept cribbed it from Katie. So I, I've got those four folders in the dock along with five or six apps of the key apps that I use all the time. So I just tap a folder and drag up from the folder and that works just fine. And, and I can also, if I have a keyboard attached, I can use Spotlight, which 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 Merlin was just talking about. So do you have anything on your home screen or everything's just in the dock? I have a beautiful picture of the Millennium Falcon. On my oh, and Jack's nice. the Millennium Falcon. Okay. I need to do some serious housekeeping. It's a running joke on um, shows that I do how terrible my home screen setup is. But to, to, to jump on to what you're saying, yeah, there's a lot of stuff to get from like Mike and Gray about how they're using iPads. It's so much good stuff. Something also Fraser Spears uh, talked about on Canvas, which is a great show people should be listening to if they want to do iPad, uh, serious iPad stuff. And he said this on Twitter. I mean, like, there's a couple things. First is that, like, well, I'll have my own note at this point, which is, like, give yourself time to get used to this. This is a new world. You can make it work mostly like the way you used to work, but be open to the idea. Watch some videos and try to retrain yourself a little bit because that doc... Uh, as you're describing right there, it is deceptively simple. It is, there's a lot to the dock. The fact that you can flip up and get to that from anywhere is huge. Now, the other thing is, if you don't want to have to be dragging stuff out of Spotlight all the time, you're going to want to make that dock a combination of, in my case, stuff I use all the time, like classically, right? Like I want to get to Overcast from anywhere usually. Unfortunately, the control panel has gotten less useful sort of for Overcast things. But uh, yeah, you want to put Stuff you use a lot, but also the stuff you're going to need to drag up a lot needs to go in there. And and I guess second or third, really work those uh, folders. You're like having some kind of like a junk folder or in your case, David, what are the, what are the four gray folders that you've adopted from uh, Katie? Well, you know, the uh, the concept is what the context of what you're doing. I actually named them verbs. So I have one called make and inside that is stuff that I make stuff with. One's called learn and that's things that I learn things from. And the other one is called fix, which is obvious. And the last one is called play. So if I want to play music or if I want to play a game and I, as I put uh, apps into these folders, I just think what's immediately, where would I look for this? And so it's, it's easy to do this. And so between those four folders on the first page of each of those folders, because you can put a lot of apps on the first page of a folder on the iPad, uh, I've got pretty much everything I need that's not um, on the dock already. So it works out great. And um, uh, I think it's a thing if you're a keyboard, if you're somebody who uses the keyboard with the iPad all the time, it's probably not necessary because the keyboard gets you to apps faster than any other way on the iPad with the command space, you know, with the spotlight. But if you use it without a keyboard, uh, this is the way to go, in my opinion, because uh, I was trying to uh, to do it the old fashioned way where I had apps on the springboard and I kept having to quit out of apps to get to the springboard. I, I feel like if, if I was, could change one thing about iOS 11, when you do the long swipe up from the bottom, you know how you do the short swipe, you get the dock, you do the long swipe, you get the control center and the spaces and all that other stuff. Uh, I would have just added a spotlight search bar across the top of that window. I mean, just, just put one spotlight search bar across the top of that window. That feels so, like that should be there. That really feels like it should be. Yeah, you just do one long swipe, then you can spotlight to anything, but you can't do that. And um, this is a problem that was, I, I it was in the first beta, and I kept thinking, I, I submitted a ticket. I know several other people that did as well. And for whatever design reason, they decided that didn't make sense. 
But um, but because to get the spotlight, it takes more than that. And I feel like you should be able to, while you're in an app, do one long swipe and get the spotlight, but you can't. So so I, I did this thing with the doc and I did it kind of as a joke to begin with, to send screenshots to friends to say, look at my, my Mac, because it looks like a Mac when you're done. <laughs> and, um, and uh, but then I started using it. I'm like, you know what? This is pretty good. I'll, I'll post a, I'm going to do a home screen post for myself here pretty soon. I'll send you a picture of it. But I'd love to see that. It, it's not, it's not rocket science. You just pick the apps that you, you really use a lot and you put them on the dock and the rest of them, you figure out a way to squeeze those into just a few folders. And if it can work for you, um, then you're just that short swipe away from any app. And um, that's really nice. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by 1Password. You can learn more and get a discount by heading over to onepassword.com slash MPU. I love 1Password. As you know, it's the iPassword management of choice. And I've tried to get all my friends and family on the 1Password bandwagon because I believe in a world where we have so little control over much of our information, thank you, Equifax, that the one thing that we can do to up our security game is to use strong, unique passwords across all of our various websites. And 1Password makes it very easy to do just that. And 1Password, of course, had a big update for iOS 11. Specifically, 1Password now supports supports drag and drop, which is a total game changer for 1Password. So let's say you're using 1Password on the iPad, you've got 1Password up on a window on one side, maybe a Safari window on the other, and you're filling out one of these web forms. You need to include your name, your address, your credit card number, and all of this stuff. Just pop up 1Password over on one of the windows on the side, and you can now drag and drop all of that information from 1Password into the web browser window. I use this quite a bit when I'm shopping, and I have to fill in information about myself as as well as credit card details and those things. Uh, it is a super way to get all of that information very quickly out of 1Password and into Safari. Now, did you know that it also works in the reverse? You can also add a contact to 1Password. 1Password has the ability to fill information based on identities. So if you want to take like your contact card or a family member's contact card, you can just open up contacts and drag and drop your contact information into 1Password to start that for creating your 1Password identity. Drag and drop is a great way to share information between apps. And I'm so pleased to see that the 1Password developers have totally embraced this. So you can learn more about how 1Password can help protect your information, your family's information, and your team's information by heading over to onepassword.com slash MPU. And thanks 1Password for your kind support of the show. So what else about iOS 11 has made your iPad more productive for you? Was it really with the iOS 11 beta that you started picking up the iPad more or was it before then? No, no. I, um, I've i been loving the iPad for a long time. I'm trying to think because, you know, once you've been using um, the operating system for a while, you kind of forget what's new about it. You know, it's it's weird how that works. But um the um the keyboard thing was definitely one that grabbed me. Anybody who's wondering, I, like I, I can imagine a certain mindset where you go like, well, I've got an iPad, like why would I use a keyboard? Because it feels like if you're used to using an iPad, what you're thinking in your head is, okay, so I think about using an iPad and if I have to, I have to type in a text field, I click in that field or I click in another field. And all this is going to do is give me the same thing I've already got at the bottom of my screen. But the, the part that's missing, the part that's worth exploring is in the case of this Logitech. Yeah, but you can you can do that searching. You can do the app switching. Also, remember, you've got all the, your controls for stuff like volume and things like that. And that is, I mentioned that because, first of all, I think it's not obvious to people who have not tried it yet, but also how indicative it is of you have to live with this stuff for a while. 
and really get it into your fingers and your brain uh, before it starts, you know, seeming natural. I'm trying to think of what really grabbed me. Obviously, um, I first put, what is the first one I did? I put the current public beta, public beta at the time on my slightly lesser iPad Pro, just because I was dying to see, you know, what the new features with dragging apps around was going to be like. Uh, and I thought it was pretty great. I'm trying to think of the other big ones. Uh, I think the Files app is really weird and needs a ton of improvement, but is very promising. That I imagine for folks like you two, that must be huge. I mean, to get into things like Transmit, Box, Dropbox, whatever you use, the Google Drive, the implementation of it is really weak right now. And I think it needs a lot of help for a power user to find it useful. Well, even the inclusion of favorites is such a help. Favorites, you know, because you've got you, you. This is, I mean, we move quickly past this, but you've been on the iCloud Sync bandwagon for a pretty long time, right? And I have the scars to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, you know, just like if you've got a, an organized set of nested folders, I mean, if you're, for instance, running a law practice or. 17 podcasts like Merlin, you're going to have ultimately these groups of nested folders. And up until I was 11, getting through those on any type of file management system involved tapping through endless folders every time. And, and the, the tagging support is even rougher around the edges, I think, than, than the files app. So, so really the nested folders still are, are very necessary, but now they've just that one feature saying, okay, this is a favorite. I'm going to drag this folder into the left column. And now and forevermore, I can get to that with one tap. Amen. I'm still, I'm still at the stage where uh, I have not gotten very sophisticated with it. And so I, I do need to go in and kind of refactor things. But it's been handy just for stuff I never used to think about. Like if I've got an EPUB, of my friend's book to look at that used to be something where I'd go and I would manually like download it <laughs> like from the web or whatever. But the addition of things like files, the addition of things like handoff, it's taking me so long to get used to using handoff for different things, whether it's picking up a web page from somewhere else, uh, sharing a, a, a clipboard. Uh, and every time I remember to do it, I am mightily rewarded for it. Uh, other stuff in iOS 11, I'm I'm a big fan of 3D Touch or whatever we're calling it this week. I'm a big fan of that stuff. I've been kind of bummed that it's it, that's another thing that feels like has sort of languished because it can't work across all devices. They kind of fixed that a little bit with the iPad where the long press is now kind of a meaningful thing. But for example, like the first time you open control panel and you see all those little weird icons, you don't realize how much power there is in there until you start 3D touching all the things. That was one thing I started to, uh, you know, when, once I realized that you could do like a long press and like now you got a flashlight with gradations, you got the ability to turn on the selfie camera, all that stuff. That I think is kind of a magical moment to realize that those interaction models are really maturing. It's not everywhere yet. It's not perfect yet. But I, I really think they're going in a good direction with, with that. To be able to have the stuff you need in your control center, you know, pare it down to what you really need, and then be able to know you can get the stuff from anywhere really quickly. Like any of this stuff, like any of this productivity junk, it's remembering to remember. 
And I think that takes weeks and months of, of getting used to. So I still feel like a, a real neophyte. I've been using iOS 11 for a couple months and I, it still feels very new to me. I still feel like I'm learning new stuff every day and having to remember to do the new stuff every day just as often. And I think that's a big problem because sometimes it feels overwhelming for people. My um, my 80-year-old grandmother has an iPhone. She has an iPhone because um, she wants Instagram and text messaging because that's that's <laughs> what her grandkids are doing. Her grandkids are texting her and they're they're posting on Instagram. Um, but sometimes I, I get nervous because when when it, things change, things that used to be simple, like sending a text message, now she has all these other options. Do I, do I want to send text message or do I want to send it with slam? And now am I going to be able to send an emoji and, and all of these other things? Um, and I know she's just scratching the surface of how she wants to use her phone. But um, where do people start? Because there's so much power in these devices now that it, it can be overwhelming. And it's not, it's not obvious. I mean, you're nailing it. It's not, it's not the kind of thing that's naturally discoverable. There's a lot of stuff in there that you really, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to send your 80 year old grandmother to watch a bunch of YouTube videos. There's a lot of stuff that like, where you, you have, like I say, interaction model by design, because realizing that this is more than just, I go to an area and do a thing. There's five things I can do here. They're all buttons, right? We've moved away from that at this point. And to get all of the power out of this, now you have to understand there are different kinds of presses. There are different kinds of gestures, all of this stuff. And I mean, I, I, it's it's sort of like describing how to use Quicksilver back in the day where I, we, we say to somebody, drag down, well, drag down from the top of the screen, but from above the pane, right? But that that's different than dragging down when you're almost at the top and like swiping right to left on your MacBook will bring up your notifications bar. It's It all feels very foreign unless you're actually putting your hands on it. And even then, it really does take some time. I feel like Apple, the line they're trying to walk is to say, we're going to add all these power features, but they're going to be behind the curtain. And if you don't want to use them, everything is going to work just like it always did. And that's an almost impossible task if they want to bring the power features to where they need to be. But it, it seems like that's what they're trying to do with this stuff. Because if you look at a lot of the things, and that's why there's these calisthenic type gestures now, because uh, they're thinking, well, if, you're, if you really want to select five files at once and move them at the same time, uh, you've got to figure that out. But we don't want the person who's used to moving one file to ever have a problem. And um, I guess that's the probably the right way to do it. But uh, I'm glad I don't have to make the decision. If I was in charge, I'd be like that guy at Microsoft a few years ago with Windows 8 who pushed everything forward and then they fired him and threw him out the door because everybody lost their minds. That would be me. Yeah, that's, that's, that's how I'd lose every job, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the... Um, uh, with respect to Control Center, though, I, I think also one of the things that's interesting is for the first time we can change what's in Control Center. And and maybe I would hope that the next penny to drop on all this is next year that we can put pCalc in Control Center or third, third-party apps. And I, I feel like now that they've built a mechanism for us to, to insert and remove Apple apps, it would only be a question of time before we could do that with third-party apps, too. I, I guess I guess I feel like I agree. Um, just from a sort of semantic standpoint, uh, it gets a little mentally confusing for me to think about where I go to do a thing. Like, do I swipe left to right to go over to the dashboard dingus? What's that called? The uh, widgets? Yeah, it's a change. It seems like it changes. I, I, I still think about it as notification center because that's what they started. It's hard for me to switch, you know. I'm I'm so old and so confused, but you know, I guess you think about like where stuff, where it makes sense for stuff to go. 
Um, obviously there's stuff we'd all want, like it would be nice to be able to change your Wi-Fi network from inside of control center. You have to imagine that that is coming. Um, while we're at it, let me ask a question though. Are you folks using widgets often and actively on iOS? Mm, No, I feel like I put them in there and I don't, (laughs) I don't do much with it. The the only one I kind of use is the maps, you know, because I'm very I'm very good about putting things in my calendar. And if there's a location, putting a map location associated with it. And maps has this really uh, neat feature where it will tell you your up next location. For me, it's like I don't know why I'm so obsessive about home screens. Maybe that's why I've been doing this post for so long. But to me, like control center and notification center whenever they give me an opportunity to get an an app off my home screen like for the longest time i had to put the apple remote app either on my home screen or somewhere that it was very easy to get to because i always use my phone to control the tv because i have teenagers and if you have teenagers remotes are never where they're supposed to be um (laughs) So same for tweens. Okay. So, so when you use control center, now you swipe up, you enable the Apple remote app and it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's done. Same thing with find friends. Find friends is a thing where I am. My whole family's on it. We use it. We keep track of each other. It's great. And it's not creepy the way we use it, but um, I don't want to have to be digging for the find friends app. And I put that notification center. I just swipe over and I can tell you, you know, where my kids are and, um, and that's great. Uh, so, so there's certain apps that I think work in notification center. And, uh, and so when I look at notifications there, I look at that in that way, like weather is the same thing. I always put weather over there because I can just swipe over. Although I live in California, I don't really need it. I mean, rarely do I, it's <laughs> just not that big of a deal. I have uh if this, then that telling me when it's going to rain the next day. And that's the only time it really affects me. I've got, what do I have here? <clears throat> I've got, this is probably, there's, there's certainly a better way to do this, but I've used, um, uh, IFTTT do button to create some things for fast settings on, um, like shutting off all my lights when I leave the house and stuff like that. I got find friends, batteries, deliveries. Um, but you know, I just, just get, I feel like in some ways it gets back to the, the initial point though, of it really takes time using this to figure out what belongs there and what doesn't. And it isn't until you use it a lot that you figure out what doesn't need to be there and what should be. And I think that goes for control center too. Well, I, I, I guess I would just say to people like, especially if you're, this is all kind of new to you, it would be fun and instructive to go in and turn on a whole bunch of these, which you do by going to settings and you'll see a control uh, center um, area in there. Uh, you can't mention settings without reminding people, this is our, our cross to bear. Always remind people that if you're in settings on the front sort of page of that, you can pull down and get a spotlight search of inside settings. There are people who don't know that. It is worth repeating that every day because it's a game changer. Um, I would say turn a bunch on, but then see what you actually use. Like I, for example, I can, I can look here and tell you, like I turned on screen recording. Of course, the was one of the first things I tried because who wouldn't try screen recording? That seems like magic. I've only, it's sort of like uh, the Simpsons episode where, uh, Selma has her ham radio. And the guy says, I have a ham radio. This is my, I have a ham radio where it's like the only time I ever use screen recording is to show people that I have screen recording. (laughs) I can afford to take that off. But at that same time, having the battery dingus there to be able to turn on the low power mode is great. Obviously flashlight. Uh, I probably don't need to have wallet in here, but I do. I guess I would say 
you know, again, just use this stuff a lot and think about it a lot and click the things and see what it does. It's not obvious, but when you do a long press on the brightness button, you have the ability to turn night shift on and off, which I like to do. I have it, I have it automated, but I still like to turn it on and off sometimes. But, you know, with all of these things, just use them a lot, figure out what you're not using and consider taking away the ones you don't use because whether that's your kitchen drawer or your desktop or your control center, I think the more that it feels like an active area full of stuff you find useful, the more likely it is to have longevity and usefulness to you. Yeah. If you go into notification center and or widgets, I'm sorry, and you see something that you've never, you never accessed then get rid of it. But uh, another trick for uh, widgets is I always put the most important ones I want on the, either in the top screen where I can see it or at the very bottom. So can I can flip. Flip exactly. Fast. So I can just flip all the way to the bottom and I'll get that information. But but ideally, you don't have so many there that you need to scroll a whole lot. Um. Okay. So so it sounds like iOS 11 is is overall you're pretty happy with it though. And um, but but what what types of work are you doing uh, on the iPads? You know, I guess you're doing show notes and and show prep. Um. Is there any other like are you doing much writing on the device? No, not too much. I, you know, I have to be honest, if it comes to something where I need to use a keyboard, uh, I am an old man, old man in the sense that like, I I would still prefer to do that with a keyboard on a computer and a screen that I can see. Um, it, it is funny though, how I get, I get driven crazy by certain things about certain devices and end up getting a little allergic to them. I've had my MacBook adorable for, I don't know, six or eight months. And I, I, I still, when I say I hate the keyboard, I don't mean that in the Marco way of the way that it feels. I hate the arrow keys so much, and I still get the arrow keys wrong all the time, and that feels broken to me. So there's some kinds of things where like it feels like this should be more useful than it is, and I do end up using the iPad instead. As far as actual work that I do, you know, a lot of it is, uh, it could be like watching Hulu. Like I'll be, while I'm typing on my um, Mac, I'll be, have Hulu up on the iPad. That's something that I do a lot is sort of media consumption. As far as actual worky Mick work, I don't know. I still can't find an email app that I like. I still, I mean, if I'm on a Mac, I'm using Gmail in the browser. There's still nothing like that to me. I mean, it just, I don't want to name names, but the main email app that I use, it still drives me bananas that I open it and it's, it feels like it takes 15 seconds before I see all my messages. It just drives me nuts. And I guess, you know, that's partly because I have a Gmail account. I don't have a full standard push Apple account that I'm using. Yeah, IMAP, yeah. But like, it's still, it feels like there's all these bells and whistles and inbox zero that everybody wants to do with, with email apps where like, I still, I would love to pick y'all's brain about what you're using for email and what you're loving. Cause I, have an entire folder full of blue paper airplanes and envelopes, uh, (laughs) none of which really serve my purposes. Well, what are you using, Katie? I'm just using the plain old Apple Mail app uh, combined with with SaneBox because every time I I try to switch over to a different proprietary system, you know, I I just fall down. I, I run into things that it can't do or hooks that it doesn't have. What do you use, David? I'm, you know, I'm like you. I have all of the email apps in about every two months. I go and re-enable two or three of them and decide I'm going to give one a week and the other one a week. And there's things in those third-party mail apps that are really great that are not in Apple Mail. But usually uh, there's a lot of things about them I don't like. A lot of them have stability problems. They're slow. And a lot of them you've got to... They, they they make a they make it sound like this is no big deal. But to get the functionality that a lot of these things require... 
I think you have to weigh how comfortable you are giving somebody else, whether it's your direct creds or OAuth or whatever it is. That's something I'm becoming. I mean, it's not that I won't do it, but I am getting to a place where I don't do that as automatically as I used to because I just that fe- doesn't feel wholesome to just go try a thing for a day and now they've got my OAuth forever. So I've gotten a little more picky about that, but they all do neat stuff. I mean, there's things like, I mean, I mostly use Spark and Spark's good. I use it. It's okay. I use it for like mainly for triaging. It's it's really fast for that kind of stuff. It's got easy, you know, little gliding gestures to snooze stuff till tomorrow or next week or whatever. I use that a lot. I really need to spend more time probably with airmail because I know that has gotten a lot of, uh, traction with power users because of the integrations. But then there's like these five other apps on here that I'm just, I don't know why I even have them on here. <laughs> yeah, so I spent a week with Airmail. Um, and I do, this is one that gets in my rotation because everybody loves it so much. And I, I'll spend a week with it. And the keyboard shortcuts are amazing. If you like to use your iPad with a keyboard. Oh, that's uh, great. You know, you can, you can send it to like, cause, cause I like Katie Usain box as well. I can send it to deferred folders. I can do all this great stuff with the keyboard. But then it, it's a little crashy for me. And the other problem was inline replies don't work. If you go, you know, like I do inline replies for almost all my emails, especially the legal stuff and and even a lot of the Max Sparky stuff. It, it, it's just the, you know, it's the proper way to answer an email, in my opinion. And uh, in Airmail, when you go and hit return in the middle of an email to do an inline reply, it keeps the formatting of the source message. Yeah, yeah, well... They're all they're all broken in different kind of dumb ways. Where like there's there's some where it just won't quote correctly at all. There's others where I mean for the kind of work you do, the kind of work I do, somebody will send me a, a medium to long email, and I'm not just going to respond in one paragraph above. I'm a gentleman. I'm going to go in. I'm going to hit return a couple times. What do you call it? Like interleaving or whatever you want to call that. Where I'll respond sort of in line to what they're doing, and then guess what? They're gonna they're gonna respond to that. So that kind of, you know, accumulates, but like, there's nothing more frustrating than trying to like, you know, there's one thing I have to do for a sponsor thing every month where the person who handles this stuff sends me an email and reminds me to do this. And I've got to like respond to all the people in the forwarded mail from that person. So like, I've got to like copy all the email, all the email addresses out manually because they're not included in the forward. I got to go take out the duplicate emails. I try and respond, you know, with quoting without including her message reminding me to do it. And like on, on the desktop, that's like six clicks and you're done. And on iOS, it feels like I, I still don't trust that I'm getting it right each time. And I just throw up my hands and go to the desktop. Isn't that surprising, though? Like, of all the things that you would use on an iOS device in 2017, does, in your heart, doesn't it feel like email would be the most solved of all the problems? Yes and no, because I, it, it's so, it is kind of an integrated process. And it, it is, email is just messy in general. I mean, when you look at all the different email standards, you know, Gmail, IMAP, uh, Exchange, all the, it, it's not an easy problem to solve. And And people that have really great ideas about user interfaces, quite often I think fall down in the underlying technology section. And and uh, that's something that Apple Mail gets right. And and Apple Mail every year gets iteratively a little better. Uh, it's not as good as some of these. Like an Apple Mail, you can now save an email as a PDF, but the way you do it is completely bonkers. You gotta go to print the email and then you, you unpinch it. It's just, it's just nuts the way you do it. It's crazy. I've learned to live with it because everything else just just works and inline replies work, etc. cetera. Um, but, but yeah, I don't think anybody is, that's really into this stuff is super happy with their email solution. 
The last thing I want to do with an email is drag it. <laughs> that's, that's part of it is there's so much dragging, clicking, redragging, selecting. And, you know, if, well, one thing to always I feel like is worth mentioning is like, wow, that long press to be able to like uh, navigate and then uh, select uh, on um, iPhone. Boy, I, I am so addicted to that. I, I'm no longer having that problem where I miss the last letter or I accidentally also grab the period. If you're editing text on an iPhone, you got to get used to that because that is so great. It's kind of cool on the iPad, but you still kind of need two fingers for it. That's all really great. Um, but I just, yeah, I just don't have the level of confidence with that. I sh- maybe I should try, uh, maybe I should try the mail app again. It's pretty good. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's got its problems as well, but it's, it's stable and they have got it more user friendly. Like now you can do these half swipes where you can send things away, but it's not as fast as it is on the Mac. I mean, that's, that's the underlying problem. Yeah. There's nowhere that I'm, there's nowhere that I'm, I'm more of a huge dork than when it comes to email and just uh, every time I'm on here, like take a drink, those (laughs) meta keyless letters that you click in Gmail, there's just no replacement for that. You know, it's just, you just fly through with brackets and E and I and R and A and C. And like, they all like you get that in your fingers and you go anywhere else. And it feels like you're playing a video game about email. I should uh, do a post on this on, on the Mac. I use mail act on the same way, you know, but Mm -hmm. you hold down the control key. You can do it different, but I just hold down the control key in my right hand. I've got about 14 different places. I can send an email with my right hand and sitting (laughs) here, I couldn't tell you what any of the keys are, but I I just, I, it just magically happens. And, and like the integration with Samebox that way is I can send it to the five days folder or I can send it to the next Monday folder. And it's just holding down the control key with my left pinky and something happens with my right hand. I'm not even sure what it is. And I miss that every time I use the iPad. Samebox should be a sponsor on this show. They are. They're a sponsor on this show today. Would you believe that? This very one? Yes. What a coincidence. In fact, why don't we take a, a, a sponsor break right now? This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by SaneBox. Go to SaneBox.com slash MPU and solve your inbox problem and get $25 credit on any plan. We hear from lots of listeners that sign up for SaneBox and love it. And that makes sense. Both Katie and I are subscribers as well. SaneBox is a service that allows you to take control of your own email. SaneBox isn't any single email tool, but a whole toolbox full of email tools. For instance, using SaneBox, you can have it automatically sort your email for you as it comes in. So your inbox isn't full of everything that shows up in your email every day. Instead, it sorts the marketing stuff into a separate folder or the stuff that's not important into a separate folder. And your inbox just shows you what you really need to see. Now, there's more tools available to you in SaneBox than I really have time to talk about in this ad spot. So the one I really want to focus on today is Sane Reminders. I really love Sane Reminders. If I send an email to someone and they don't write me back and I need to hear back from them before I can do something, it's a real pain in the neck. Am I supposed to create separate task list items for every email I send? I mean, none of these solutions really work. Sane Reminders solves that problem. With Sane Reminders, when I send an email, let's say I send Katie an email, and if I blind copy that to one week at SaneBox.com and she doesn't reply to me, I get a reminder from SaneBox saying, hey, you sent Katie an email a week ago and she never replied to it. 
This is an email tracking system that you get with SaneBox. And all you have to do to implement it is put a period of time at SaneBox and the carbon copy or blind copy field. This is a great tool, and I expect everybody listening to me could use something like this. But Sane Reminders is just one of the many killer features you get with the SaneBox service. So uh, don't take my word for it. Go check it out. You can get a free 14-day trial. Head over to SaneBox.com MPU. And if you sign up through our link, you get $25 credit on any plan. Thank you, SaneBox, for sponsoring the Mac Power users. So Merlin, what's what's breaking for you on the iPad? Where's the where's the where are you having troubles with with you know getting work done on it? Hmm. Let me think about that. What uh, what causes me trouble? There's lots of little frustrations, right? I'm, I think we'll probably get to this more later. But I the the inconsistency. Sometimes there's inconsistencies, certainly between apps. Yeah, you understand. It's a matter of taste or a matter of interest, like what an app does. But you know. Having actions that do different things in different places on different devices can be a little frustrating, especially with iOS 11, um, where like on the one hand, you say, wow, it's great that the iPad is getting features that are especially, you know, for the iPad, that iPhone has features that are unique to the iPhone. But it also can be a little frustrating because you feel like you lose a little bit of muscle memory. The other stuff is like just, and this is not useful, but it's frustrating to me that there are some amazing features available to developers that they choose not to use. And a really dumb one that drives me crazy is the, I don't know what the term for it is, but not picture in picture, but the thing where you can have a screen that you, you know, move around on, on screen, you can continue to do your stuff on the iPad, but also be watching a video. No, that is called picture in picture. I think. Is it called picture in picture? Um, I guess I, I can imagine or guess why Hulu doesn't do that, but it drives me bananas. Hulu is a f- captures, and I, and I just want to clarify, I think most of the app in every way is hot garbage on every platform, but I love the service. The Hulu TV service has been great for our family. We like it. We use it all the time. It's great. It's, we, it's our cable cutting savior. But if you use it on an iPad where it's a very natural fit, uh, now I'm just bitching, it captures the whole screen. And if anything happens, it pauses, including in some cases, some notifications. If I want to go in and like change the brightness of the screen, it gets confused. I wish I, I guess I get why they don't do that. But I, as somebody who uses an iPad a lot, I wish every app that had video would let me see it in a little daughter picture in picture window. And so now basically, if you want to watch Hulu on your iPad, now it becomes a TV only. You can't do anything else to it while that's happening. And that drives me a little bit crazy. There's a lot of times where I just want to sit around and watch some YouTube videos, you know, but I don't want to, you know, but if that's not going to spawn a daughter window, then I, I've got to go watch it on another device. That kind of stuff drives me crazy. Inconsistencies. Is it, I think it's YouTube or is it Netflix? So I think it's YouTube that also doesn't support it. Is that right? It's YouTube. I think I just recently moved to the YouTube app on Syracuse's recommendation. I watch a lot of YouTube. I'm a YouTube Red subscriber, uh, but I think I'm just going to delete it. It's I don't like using the app at all. It's it's really the website just makes so much more sense to me um, on a device. It's fine on a set top box. But like, again, every implementation of YouTube on every platform is different. Um, And it's weird. I mean, YouTube, as we're seeing now, for example, with YouTube and Amazon going at loggerheads about being on the Amazon show, I guess there's different stories on who pulled that from where. But, you know, YouTube really wants you to have all of their functionality, including stuff like autoplay. 
You know, it's weird to me that when I'm on, and let's open it up to the larger ecosystem, I watch a lot of YouTube on Apple TV. And uh, it, it's sort of frustrating to me that I don't have any of the functionality to do things like a thumbs up, a thumbs down, a send this link. If Basically, you can be seeing the video in a swim lane of icons under recommended or whatever, you know, however, however it comes up on screen in a collection. But as soon as you click on it, your only choice is to watch it or not watch it. You can't do other stuff to it. I feel like all, all these technology companies, they're like uh, an indie band that, that's starting to get big, right? And each one of them has their own video service and they're all starting to think they could go solo, right? And they, <laughs> right. they're playing with each other. Even, the, even same the drummer time, thinks he should be the headliner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're playing with each other, but at the same time, they're thinking, well, do I really want to make it that easy for them? And and that it shows up in all these weird ways, like the Amazon app not showing up on Apple TV and picture-in-picture picture not working and this whole thing going on between Google and Amazon now. I, I, I don't know. I hope that they don't, you know, I hope the band doesn't break up because I, I like having access to all this stuff everywhere, but part of me feels like it's inevitable. The Amazon YouTube one, I think, is particularly interesting. I feel like they talked about this on, I want to say Upgrade this week, on one of the shows I listened to. Probably Upgrade. Um, that's a particularly interesting one, because in some ways, it sounds like that fight comes down to, um, like, for the given platform, like, who, who, who does this customer belong to, right? That's what it feels like. Because on the one hand, Amazon would say, well, the users of this Amazon device want to be able to watch YouTube videos, but ultimately they are customers of this device and boo on you for not making your videos available. From YouTube's point of view, one can extrapolate, whoa, wait a minute. No, no, no. These are, these are people who are YouTube users who happen to be watching it on your device. So they're arguing over who's the peanut butter and who's the chocolate bar, and then everybody loses. Like you say, it would be nice if the band stayed together and kept putting out good records as a group. <laughs> but it's uh, it's complicated stuff, and I don't think it's going to get less complicated. You know, the, the days of Apple and IBM are the big fight. The days of Apple versus Microsoft. No, this is all changing so much. Look no further than things like, you know, you got Google search back on Apple devices instead of Bing, like for stuff like Siri. Like, I think we're going to see moving sands in so many of these relationships. And I just hope to the extent possible, it doesn't unnecessarily um, injure the users or the companies with what sometimes feels like very somewhat childish, like land wars over this stuff. It's I don't know. I mean, I'm not paying YouTube's bandwidth, so I shouldn't say anything. Like, they, I'm sure their bandwidth bill is pretty rough, but like, I don't know. It just seems weird to deliberately hobble this stuff. Uh, it is hurting users. I mean, just like right now, we've got a thing on Apple TV where uh, if you watch YouTube, it doesn't show you 4K YouTube because there's a codec that, that... I have to I have to go to my TV's app to do that. Yeah, Google has a codec that they want Apple to use. Apple doesn't want to use it. So <laughs> I, I, hope, I hope it gets better. Uh, that's definitely... But it's interesting that when we talk about where does this stuff fall down for us, now we're talking about intercompany politics. Uh, whereas uh, just a few years ago, we'd say, well, I just would like to save five files from an email and it won't do that for me. And um, and they're they're knocking down those parts, which is good. How about the Mac? Now, I didn't realize you you have the uh, MacBook Adorable. Um, uh, so how's that working out for you? Yeah, I had had previously, uh, I had had a MacBook Air from about 2010, which does not sound that long ago, but whew, it was rough. <laughs> By last year, um, you know, there are those occasions, uh, like when you're at home, that you need a Mac to do something. And the Mac that I had been using was was functionally useless. I mean, the battery was down to a running um, 
like fruit juice on it. It was at like something like 20% of the original capacity, something ridiculous. <laughs> the screen was a mess. It looked like I'd been smoking at it or something like that. It was really <laughs> awful and smudgy and all torn up looking. So yeah, I got the MacBook adorable on a little bit of a whim. Um, but yeah, that's what I use. And a lot of times I'd use that for something as simple as using screens to like VPN into work to do stuff on my other computer, but a lot of just like typing stuff and a lot of, like I say, just kind of that lightweight stuff you do around the house stuff. And, and then I've got a 5k, a 5k iMac at work that I absolutely adore. Yeah. It's so portable, that computer and, and the keyboard, uh, if you don't like the arrow keys, how about just typing on the keyboard is where are you, where are you at on that? Yeah. I mean, it's not the worst. I mean, I think I have pretty average to, I don't know if they're small, but I think I have pretty average size hands. And even after all that time using it every day, I'm still not used to the feel of it as a laptop. Like, I mean, and this is going to sound nuts because obviously you buy this because you want a small light computer. It's very small. It's very light. That's great. But like, there's not really a comfortable place to put my palms on it. It's like halfway across. You don't really have a place to put your hands and it's sort of hard to, to get around a little bit, but I mean, for what it does, it's it's pretty great. I The whole USB-C lifestyle is a little bit bewildering to me, um, but I like it okay. I I wish that there were, we talked about this on Back to Work today as we're recording this, I wish there was really a knock it out of the park, even Marco Arment loves it, MacBook Pro, that had some reasonable number of ports on it. Maybe charge a little bit more, but like, it just feels like the laptop, the whole area of Apple's laptops right now really feels like it's just all question marks and asterisks. You know, there's just so many trade-offs involved. There's not one big baller uh, laptop you can buy and feel confident that you're going to be able to treat it like a real computer. And I think that's a little bit of a frustration. It is for me. I, I know you've been playing with the adorable. Have you played with the new MacBook Pros and the touch bar at all? I haven't. We we talked about that. Dan just got one. And no, I haven't. I I'm, I have trouble... What do we know about Apple? We know that with Apple, it's a fool's errand to talk about <laughs> how something will work until you've actually used it, right? You don't really feel the magic until you've used it. And until you've used it a lot, you don't really know. I honestly kind of can't imagine how I would use it. But is that what you're using, Katie? Do you have a MacBook Pro with a touch touch bar? I do, but I'm not using the touch bar. Well, I, can you can you share with me how that experience went for you? Were you gung-ho to try it? Well, I was gung-ho to get a new MacBook Pro because I was beyond due. I've been using a MacBook Air for about four years, and it was getting long in the tooth. And, you know, we just been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for when is the new redesigned. Never, never a good day to buy. <laughs> I know, I know. When is the new redesigned MacBook Pro going to come out? And it did, and I was like, huh, okay, I guess this is what I'm supposed to buy. And I did. And it, it's fine. I, you know, I went to Dongle Town and, and picked up a lot of dongles and, and did all that. But the, the way that I use my, my MacBook Pro, I, I rely very heavily on keyboard shortcuts and I, the touch bar is fine. I just, I don't find that I use it for, for anything, you know, that I, I can't really do otherwise. It's, it's not the first place that I go to look for anything. I use it more often than not for, for system controls like volume and brightness, but I'm, I'm really never going there for app controls. And that may speak to how it, how it's been you know, used in apps and how that deployment has worked. 
Um, I also tend to use it quite a bit with an external keyboard when it's connected to a monitor as more of a desktop. And then, of course, you're you're never going to use the touch bar because the you know it's up on a on a stand somewhere. I really like the idea of Touch ID on the on the MacBook Pro, but you know I've got such muscle memory for typing in my password now, and also you know the unlock with watch. Assuming you've got that you know working, depending on which version you're using, that tends to work really well. So yeah, I if if all things had been considered and you could get a, a touch bar version or a non-touch bar version, but still have the additional ports and still have the additional speed, I probably could have saved the money without the touch bar version. But it's not that simple because the non-touch bar you, versions you need the other stuff, yeah, right? Don't don't have extra ports and and those things. We we were talking about this as I mentioned on a recent back to work. Uh, Dan and I were talking, and the phrase that I had this phrase that came up for me is what I'm what I call the microwave moment, where. Uh, we're probably at least um, David and I are old enough to remember when you get your first microwave and you're able to like, you know, boil water or heat up leftovers or put in a Stouffer's meal. And it's done in like a fraction of the time. And even on those old crappy 1970s, you know, uh, Amana, whatever microwave ovens, you have this moment where you're like, oh my God, how did I ever live without a microwave? Or how did I ever live without this particular way of making coffee? Or how did I ever live without an automatic transmission? And the thing with the the touch bar is I I'm sh- I imagine th- those people are out there. I have not personally met anybody yet who's had a microwave moment with the touch bar where there are so many features on a Mac where you find yourself saying, this is changing the way that I do my job. This is the change. This interaction model is changing the way that I approach my work, right? There's so many things you could say that for. I think you can fairly say that for Siri. There's so much stuff I do differently now because of voice control. I just haven't met anybody yet who says things along the lines of, if I don't have a touch bar, it's hard for me to use a Mac, right? Have you have you met anybody yet who says that? No. I, I would add to that, with all the email we get for the show, I don't think I've ever received an email from someone who had a microwave moment with the touch bar, so... And now I'll That's get like, super interesting. Now I'll get 20 of them. <laughs> who's, it, who's it most ripe for? Like video and podcast editing? Like, like having not used it, I'm curious. Like who who's excited about the touch bar day to day? I think it's something for people who are not Katie Floyd's and David Sparks. They're not power users. They're people who didn't know holding down command plus B made your, your font bold. But you look down and there's a button there. I, I would disagree with that a little bit because my mom and my dad who are i don't want to say they're not power users but they're also not novice computer users both bought um what marco is dubbing the macbook escape the non-touch bar model macbook pro because we they sat down and they played extensively with my macbook pro and then they looked at price and they looked at options and they're like yep don't need it because for them they didn't need the extra ports and saving the three to five hundred dollars or whatever it was was more important than what they saw as the gimmick in the touch bar. Well, as far as general Mac usage, one reason I, I sometimes feel reluctant to be on, be on your program because I don't have the kind of quantum leaps forward that I used to have with how I interact with these devices. And I have some theories about numerous theories about why that is, but there's not that much that has changed about the way I use my Mac. (laughs) The biggest change is I tend to wait a really long time before updating anything on it. I've gotten very conservative in my old age to where I, you know, I just installed a Sierra on my iMac a couple weeks ago, finally. And and it went actually really, really smoothly. It was great. But, you know, I, I feel like maybe this is just, it's a consequence of what? 
maybe just the, the kind of quote unquote work that I do that's reached a very stable, knowable kind of level. There's I, I know what it is I need to do. And but, you know, I have to admit, I think it's also tempered heavily with the feeling of, you know, I'm going to cling to the stuff that I know really works. And I'm going to remain a little bit skeptical about how far I go down the rabbit hole on any new thing that comes along, just because who knows how long will it be there? Will Apple or Google or Amazon sunset it? Um, and then there's really there's also just the the evolution of all of the Apple devices kind of encouraging let's charitably say simpler interactions with things, less power user type stuff. I think that's that that has combined as well to make me a little bit less ambitious. So the NVAlt and Dropbox setup that I have now is the same one I've had probably for two or three episodes with y'all now. There's very little about that stuff that's that's, uh, that's changed. Well, if it, if it ain't broke, they say. I use notes. I definitely use notes more um, now that, you know, it's so good on the desktop. I definitely use that. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens next with iTunes. Um, trying to think of the other stock stuff. Uh, you know, there's there's still a lot of stuff that's kind of come from iOS to Mac OS where I'm sort of waiting for it to get some maturity. Uh, my family also uses Find Friends and it's we heavily use it. So I'll frequently say, you know, hey, Dingus, tell me when my wife leaves work and stuff like that. So I can start, you know, getting things ready. Dinner. Yeah. Cook, cooking dinner, cleaning up, covering my bases, make sure I look like I'm being useful. But, Shave, um, in my case. <laughs> yeah, well, let's not go crazy. <laughs> but I, I mean, is there, I guess, apart from Siri on the Mac, is there another way to interact with fine friends apart from just like looking at what it says in the side rail? I don't think so. I mean, there's no dedicated app. But that side rail is great. Yeah, I, I do like that. And I do use it a lot. Um, but, you know, that's, that's I don't know. I guess I've gotten a little bit crusty about, like, how much I want to really... Some things I will be very experimental with. But other kinds of things, I really rely... You know, there's certain kinds of... There's apps and services that have been pretty rock solid. Dropbox is driving me a little bit crazy with the way that they removed, you know being able to hot link images that's killed a bunch of stuff for me but dropbox in terms of syncing has been so great the nvalt stack you know text expander brett's uh services for markdown all that kind of stuff is really essential to me that's all stuff that goes on very quickly in the life of a mac for me and i mean i'm not against getting new stuff but then okay let's also look at the app store I mean, how often do you go on the App Store and see, I, I wonder if there's something interesting on here. App Store is a quarter of last resort for me. It's like where I end up if I can't get it off the website. It's just, you know, I just, I feel like there's a lot of ways in which the evolving, the changing, the growing Apple has understandably left behind the habits of certain old folks like us. And I tend to take that as a sign to be advisable about how much I switch around. Well, I, I I do think though the Mac is an essential backbone for me at least. You know, having Hazel and and you can do stuff with Text Expander in a Mac that that just is almost impossible on an iOS device, even with Text Expander. I mean, all this stuff um, is so much faster on the Mac, so it it serves a role for me. But something you said that has me curious is uh, your upgrade schedule is really slow. I mean, if you're just putting Sierra on as high Sierra is coming out. Um, what, uh, like for instance, there's a lot of stuff to share data between iOS and Mac OS. I would assume some of that stuff doesn't work very well. If you're on the older operating system on your Mac, does that get in the way for you? 
No, no, I just, just tons of stuff that I couldn't do. I mean, once I got it on here, it was amazing. Like unlock with my watch, the handoff stuff. That's all great. And I've had Sierra on this adorable for, you know, a few months. So the, you know, just for what it's worth, the MacBook adorable, I run as close to stock as possible. I have very, I don't even have text expander on that one. I keep meaning to put it on there, but I, you know, I don't do that much super critical stuff on there, but I wanted to keep that, you know, kind of clean and light. Um, as far as the OS stuff and the updates, no, it's been frustrating, but I've, I'm going to write all of this down to my own stupidity, but I've gotten bitten on up, updates, upgrades. I've had stuff break. One, once very notoriously at a time when I could ill afford it, I had been running, I think what happened was I had been running a beta of OS 10, and then the GM came out. And long story short, there's some file or plist that had to be deleted in order for it to work properly. And my Mac was super hosed at a time when I couldn't afford it. I couldn't figure out what was wrong. Bad on me for running a beta, et cetera, et cetera. I've just gotten very conservative. There's like, like it's, I don't have that many super rickety things going, but like, who knows what's going to happen with launch D or with some Python program that I'm running. There's all this stuff where I just, I feel like until I really feel, and I, you know, I was getting the security upgrades and stuff like that along the way, but cause it was still supported, but, uh, I am very conservative about diving in like Katie. We talked about this a little bit before the show. I no longer just hit update on my phone when a new version's available. I'm fine to wait and let other people discover if there's a problem with that, that <laughs> drops your cellular connectivity, that kind of weird stuff. You know, if I've got, <clears throat> I'll have a device that I will run you know, like an upcoming like iOS on, but I'm generally pretty conservative. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I am Groot, man. Every time that button shows up, I just push it. <laughs> I can't help myself. Were you running the High Sierra beta early? Um, no. Well, I actually, I did run High Sierra beta because I was working. You wrote a book, David. Yeah, we were working. I was working on the thing with Brett where we did a whole bunch of High Sierra screencasts. So I, I was running it. Uh, probably about a month or two before it released. I didn't do early betas with that, but I did run it. And um, uh, the uh, but even just the the usual maintenance updates of Mac OS or iOS, it shows there's an update. I just push the button and go, and that allows me it's to. It's usually the- fine. It's it's usually totally fine. Yeah, can I can I make a confession? Since we're all talking about this, I I have not upgraded to High Sierra yet. High Sierra, or regular Sierra. High Sierra. I think you're totally fine to wait on that one. Let somebody else find the bugs with that one. That with the new file system? Ooh, no thanks. I'll wait. I I meant to. I mean, I've backed up all my stuff twice now and you know, this weekend and last weekend I sat down to do it and then I was just like, "Meh. I got other stuff to do." Katie, I'm just impressed you're off off Snow Leopard. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> uh at some point, <clears throat> I don't know how long ago. Probably at least a year. At some point, um in the in the last year or two, I, I went into Time Machine to uh, just kind of check in. And I noticed that uh, it was only showing one version. Time Machine was still running. I could see it. The little thing was spinning and it was doing all its stuff. And it would say, oh, yeah, last updated at 921 a.m. or whatever. But when I would go into any given folder and look at it, there's only one version. Like if you go back in time, there was nothing there. It was all blank. And it was one of those things where I don't know what caused that. I don't know why that broke. I tried several times to fix it, and I thought it was fixed, but it was never fixed. The way it got fixed was last week, I wiped that drive. I just wiped it, my entire backup drive, and I reformatted it. 
I started over. It seemed like it was being dicey, so I wiped it again. I said encrypt, encrypt it in Time Machine, but don't encrypt the drive. Maybe that's part of what's confusing it. So I did all of that, and now it seems to be working again. But that's the kind of thing where that's not the end of the world until it's the end of the world. Like Time Machine's suddenly not working, and I don't know why. And I followed all the troubleshooting. I did all the things. But finally, the way to fix it was I set aside some time to go and do the brute force attack to fix it. It happened to work, and that's good. It's just that, you know, something breaking a little bit sometimes kind of on an Apple device will make you feel like you're losing your mind. Because it's not always easy to figure out, especially these days, it's not always easy to figure out why it is. I had mystery meat shutdowns on LCAP, and I never knew why. I would just come in in the morning, and it restarted, and I don't know why. I would scour through the logs. I would bring in my friends to try and, like, figure out what it was. Something just would cause it to like, I don't know, page out and it would just say, that's it. Got to restart. And I don't know why, but that's why I get a little bit conservative. Like of all the stuff I've got, like, you know, whatever the iPads I could live without probably, but like, I can't record my shows if this thing is messed up. I never touch my audio setup. It's like, I just don't, I just never touch it. And so like, I'm just very conservative about that stuff because the benefits of increased productivity and shiny new things are greatly offset by the problems it would cause for me if it weren't working for some reason. And then now I'm inconveniencing other people. You know what I mean? So I just tend to be conservative. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Omni Group. You can learn more by heading over to omnigroup.com and learn about the entire family of apps from the Omni Group. I want to talk a little bit about my favorite app, OmniFocus, and specifically some of the great new features that came to OmniFocus in iOS 11. Now, OmniFocus is my task management system of choice. I use it on the Mac, I use it on the iPhone, I use it on the iPad, and whenever I feel my life starting to get a little bit out of control, I know it's time to refocus on OmniFocus and figure out what's in my brain and get it all out of my brain and into OmniFocus. And what I like about OmniFocus is it makes it so easy to get all of your tasks into OmniFocus. You can use, do it with dictation. You can do it with Siri. You can do it by forwarding email events into OmniFocus. You can do it through a quick entry toolbar. If you've got something on your brain, there's an easy way to get it out into OmniFocus and get it organized and then get on to getting stuff done. Now, with the introduction of iOS 11, Omni Group has brought two great ways to get things done faster in OmniFocus. They have added drag and drop support and native Siri support. So with drag and drop support, you can do things like rearrange your tasks, but you can also take information from other apps, like maybe something from an email that you have to do, or maybe a list that someone has sent you from the Messages app, basically any chunk of data from another application, and just drag it on over into OmniFocus, and immediately you can create a list of tasks in your inbox or in a project, or whatever you want to do. It makes it easier than ever to get things into OmniFocus. And for a while now, OmniFocus has supported using reminders. It's kind of a roundabout way to capture things into OmniFocus. Focus. But now there's a new Siri integration offered in iOS 11 that is much more powerful. Now you can create entire projects, assign new items to any projects or context, which Siri calls lists, and use Siri to retrieve information from OmniFocus. It's an incredibly powerful way to access and use the application. So you can learn more about all the great new features by heading over to omnigroup.com and click on the link to learn more about OmniFocus. Thanks to OmniGroup for their kind support of Mac Power users. So Merlin, we've we've talked a little bit about kind of what works and and most recently what what hasn't worked and what makes you a little cranky. But 
what makes you happy now to be either a Mac user or an iOS user? What what has gotten better since the last time we talked? What has gotten better? Does anything delight you these days? I think some things delight me. I'm still happy every time I put my thumb on my phone and it unlocks. I still think that's magic. I think Touch ID is like one of the great things. And if it goes away, I'm going to be sad because I really, really do like it. It it feels like what started out as feeling like a parlor trick is now like such an essential gesture, it's such a small thing. And but on on um, what do I have? I have a seven plus. It's just ridiculously fast, and uh, that delights me. Something as dumb as that. The fact that by and large the iOS hardware just feels mostly very solid to me. It really feels like they've come up with some very capable devices that just don't screw up for normal reasons. I think they've done a really, really good job with that. Uh, Other kinds of things that make me happy. Using handoff makes me happy. That still feels like magic to me. I love that. One thing I think is kind of cool and interesting and sometimes weird, I'm interested with, well, two big things. I'm interested with the integration of functionality or versions of functionality across different devices in the Apple platform world. And I'm also very interested with where they're going with onboarding and trying to improve the process of getting started with a new device, um, which has, you know, historically been a real pain and, and, and actually got worse with the iPhone over the years. And I feel like they're really trying some new stuff there um, that's making it less of a pain to either like reinstall or start over. Um, that makes me happy. I, yeah, I got a new Apple TV and that's the first time I've had the experience where you stamp the Apple TV and it says, rather than trying to type in your Wi-Fi password with our ridiculous remote, just put your <laughs> iPhone near the Apple TV and, and we got you covered. And I'm like, all right, I, I'm game. And it worked really well. It actually um, works. Yeah. And, and the other, the, the, the I, I was amazed that that worked. I thought this is certainly going to be one of those little funny parlor tricks. Um, but, uh, you know, the other nice thing where uh, this is not an Apple thing in particular, but I love that. So I guess I feel like I had to enter my Apple ID at least once, but I was using the remote app, which makes it a lot easier because I can copy it out of one, uh, one password and paste it in. Um, but pretty much I feel like every app I used that I had to reconfigure, right? Cause you know, you know, when you start over your apps are on there, but you still need to go back in and and re, um, authorize. Uh, YouTube, Hulu, um, all of them, but Netflix did that wonderful thing where it says, just go to this page slash activate and type in this code. The only one that didn't do that. And I'm not, this is not a slam on Netflix. Netflix was the only one where I had to enter in a password. And of course I felt like a monster typing a password because all these other ones had made it so easy. I think stuff like that, I realize that's not strictly an Apple thing, but like you think about like the user hostility of of most name and password experiences is so bad and so potentially dangerous that I love that I went from out of the box to running apps downloaded, reconfigured. Um, you know, basically I was just waiting for the new screensavers to download within like 15 minutes, which is, I think, pretty magical. Yeah, I saw, I haven't seen this in person yet, but with the new iPhones coming out, apparently you can update your new iPhone by like, like in the Apple watch where there's a, a, a graphic on the screen and you point the camera at it and then it goes off and does a bunch of the, the configuration for you based on the other device. That would make me so happy. You know, one question, you know, <laughs> kind of a weird 
seemingly kind of random feature they recently introduced to Apple TV. I think even before was it? In any case, there's now a feature uh, that, yeah, believe me, you want to turn this on before you install your new Apple TV. But you can do the thing to say like, okay, however my screen is configured, share that with all of my other Apple TVs, all of my many, many other Apple TVs that I have. Uh, that that was cool, and I configured, made sure that was configured before I did the switch. Do you think they'll ever do anything similar to that with iOS devices? Not not exactly the same, because obviously iPad is different from iPhone, it's different from this size. Do you think they'll ever do anything where you could say, keep my dock the same on multiple devices? I don't know how many people have multiple iPads. That's the, you know, that's where it really would help. I just, think. just you and David and Gray. I don't know. I guess I guess uh, so many of my wishes have been answered with this dock on iPads. I, I really don't even want to press my luck. I've been so happy to have that there. <laughs> yeah. It's it's been a godsend. And so I just kind of manually try to keep those the same. But uh, yeah. So anyway, just in general, I think anything they can do to make you feel secure and cared for when you're dealing with a new device or new software, I think is a great direction. And anything that gets us away from this nightmare of the name and password hellscape that we're all living in is, is a good direction as well. Hey, I'd like to talk to you about voice stuff for a little bit. The, um, I remember distinctly having a phone call with you about this great new app called Siri when it was not <laughs> owned by Apple. And we were both losing our minds over the stuff you could do with it. And, and, uh, now there's been a lot of water under the bridge, you know, a few bitter pills as things have developed, but also some improvements. Uh, what are you doing with your voice and your iOS stuff these days? Lots. Um, I use, we are a multi-echo family at home, and I have one at work. I have I use Siri on iPad, iPhone, Apple Watch, all of those places. Um, not so often on the Mac, but sometimes I'll do it just for fun. Um, but it's been a journey. It's been a real journey because I've really thrown myself into it. I've really, I've really said like, I feel like this is the way things are going for better or for worse. And it's going to be beneficial to learn, learn how to do this, to learn, to be open to being molded and formed by what the technology wants. And then my responsibility is to learn what it's good at and what it's not good at at this point. And that has been, that's been a good thing for me. And so now I feel like I've developed a lot of confidence. I've lost a lot of the self-consciousness of using these things. And I use it, I use Echo a lot, a lot. And I use Siri a fair amount. I wish Siri were as dependable as the Echo lady. But yeah, tons. I mean, ask me anything. I've, I've been, I use it for so many things because I really try to make myself remember to use it for many things. Like, like, what are some of the types of things you use it for? Well, um, the classic that I use, just there's two that I use multiple times a day, and they're timers or reminders. So when I wake up in the morning, I want to put my watch on the charger and then remember. So I charge my watch twice a day and I sleep with it. And that's plenty of charge. Basically, if you eh, two, two and a half hours a day, it's fine, usually. So I'll, I'll the, right before I take off my watch, I wake up. And I hit the crown and I say, remind me to get my watch in one hour. And I put it on the stand. So that way, you know, it's got time to charge or 90 minutes, whatever. It's got time to charge. And I'll get a reminder on another device to say, hey, don't lose your uh, stand count. Go get your watch. That's one I do a lot. <clears throat> the other one I do a lot is just the straightforward, like, remind me, remind me to take out the pasta in eight minutes or something like that. Um, 
And I have to say, now that I do that multiple times per day, just for those two things, it, I feel I feel like an animal having to create the old-fashioned way with the tumblers, like clicking and selecting a day. It feels mental to do that. Stuff like, my daughter needs an early pickup today. So something like, um, hey, Dingus, change my 4 p.m. meeting to 3 p.m. And it'll just do that for me. And it'll say, hey, you want this every day or just today? I'll say just today. Uh, stuff like that. So that, that, that that's very kind of dumb sort of quotidian stuff. We do a lot of the sort of yelling into the air about trivia questions. A lot of times Echo hears something that we didn't say, and that's kind of entertaining. Uh, those are the kinds of things I, I do it a lot for. And then with the Echo, we do a lot of streaming radio at home. Echo recently added something fantastic where I could say, uh, hey, Dingus, play KQED upstairs. And it knows that means to play it on all of the Echoes, and it's all synced like a Sonos. So it'll play the same stream all throughout the house. That's really great. Those are some mundane examples. And there's some more sophisticated ones that I uh, have varying levels of success with. But in general, I use it all the time. And I've accepted that it's kind of the future for now. I, I really think that you're onto something because the idea that you're going to sit around and ask trivia questions like like your life is an ongoing, you know, bar bet um i I don't i I know that's that's easy to show and like siri does the the funny responses and google probably has the more accurate responses and everybody's kind (laughs) of got their space for this stuff but i don't use it for that at all but but making calendar appointments or even just like with the phone making phone calls i initiate calls all day long with my voice and it's just easier than trying to scroll through a list or do something else to get a phone call started and and I think it, that's the space that people should be trying to get better at this stuff. You know, can you make an appointment? Can you add a task? Can you make a phone call? Stuff like that. And and as you start realizing how easy it is to use it, it really does, uh, it does pay for itself. I mean, that that's time you get back. And you were talking about earlier how uh, on the Mac, you're not as um, on the, you're not looking uh, to optimize your systems as much as you used to be. And I would argue that's because you already have them about as optimized as they can be. But I also think that optimization stuff is all now happening on iOS. I mean, there's a reason why we spent the first half of the show today talking about how you're using the iPad, because you're coming right. up with new things, new ways to optimize that that are on an iPad. I mean, just, just the idea of having a keyboard that you can access the iPad while you access the Mac tells me that you're probably doing some pretty cool stuff on that iPad. I also think there's two very understandable warring Sources of um, sources of what friction or admonishment uh, that are very difficult, both difficult to get over. Um, the one, the first, the, above all, the first being that it is totally normal and healthy to feel self conscious about using your voice with a device. I think that is very understandable. There are a lot of people who swear they'll never use it because they feel like such an idiot. I'm just here to tell you, it does take a while. But it will eventually feel less weird. But so that's that's one thing. Like I get why people don't want to. There's another warring problem though, which is it doesn't work a lot of the time. And that's why those two together become very synergistic. If you're talking into the air on the street like an idiot, and you have to say the same thing over and over, you feel like God's biggest jerk. You feel like such an idiot that you're doing that. Well, I'm just here to say, uh, you know. Almost everything is like that. (laughs) Almost everything requires you to do something that you're a little self-conscious about. But then, importantly, learn learn the interaction models that work for what you're doing at that time. 
So like, for example, like with the Echo, we'll just say set a pasta timer for 10 minutes. And then in 10 minutes, it'll say it's pasta time, whatever. Like it takes a while to get over that, but it it also does make you more acutely aware of, of how often and when it doesn't work. And that's when I start to feel like a crazy person, especially with the watch. I really want the watch to be way better at Siri than it is. I'd like it to be more fulsome than it is. There's just still, in my opinion, still way too much stuff where it's got to throw to the phone to do anything. Um, like, for example, right now, you, you can't do OmniFocus Siri on a, just on a watch, right? You, you have to, like, pass it off to iPhone. It does it through the phone, but you can you can activate it on the watch, I believe. But then it but it passes you to the phone to complete it, right? You know, I'm going to have to check that because I'm not sure. See, I always tag mine through reminders, so that's that's how I get mine there. Yeah, I do that. For, I, that's a hack that I use for lots of things. I've used that for with Amazon um, integration as well. But anyway, I just wanted to say that, like, I feel you. Anybody out there who says you know, this is stupid. Like it is kind of silly and it's totally understandable that impulse to on the one hand, not want to try it. And then the other hand, to be frustrated that you tried it and now you feel like a jerk because it didn't work the way you expected. I really feel like it's worthwhile to try and push through that. You don't have to use it for everything. You don't have to use it for all the things. I think you will benefit from being aware what this stuff is and isn't good at. And you will quickly, if you're like me, you're going to develop opinions about what kind of things you want to do where. I mean, I wish everything that's not a totally standard, very easily understandable phrase that's well-formed, I want to always do that on the Echo. Because the Echo does an extraordinary job of understanding some fairly strange things that a person might say and being able to grok what it's supposed to mean. But, you know, I feel like this is just the running theme through everything. It's like you can't really see what this stuff does until you give it a chance, until you remember to give it a chance. And you really got to stick with it because you will discover there's some kinds of things that you'd be a nut to do with voice. And there's other kinds of things. Here's one. If you have to type a short paragraph of stuff, I would challenge you to try doing voice dictation versus typing it with your thumbs. I think you might be very surprised to discover that a medium length, short to medium length paragraph, not one sentence necessarily, short to medium length paragraph dictated in a fairly quiet environment, you might have to fix one or two things, but I can almost promise you it's faster than typing it, which sounds mental, but you guys tell me if you think that's true. I'm blown away with how well the uh, transcription works on Siri. It's, it doesn't sound mental to me. I've been doing it for years, but the, um, but the trick with Siri is you've got to be willing, you've got to understand that there's a timer. Um, when you do that paragraph, if it becomes a long paragraph, it will stop at some point, which is, that's, you know, that's why I pay $15 a month for, uh, what is it, uh, the Nuance product, um, Dragon Anywhere, because it doesn't have a timer on it. But as soon as, oh, Apple, really? yeah, as, soon as Apple figures that out and makes Siri a little stronger, I, I hopefully won't need that anymore. But the, um, but yeah, it, it's funny to me because I, I work often from Starbucks when I just need to get out of the house and, and work somewhere out else but one of the things that goes into my calculus is to do i get on the bike and go to starbucks or do i stay home is do i have to do a lot of writing because if i do a lot of writing i stay home because I, I i dictate so much of it and i can't sit in the middle of starbucks and dictate a bunch of legal letters you just can't do that so so, so you know it, it is an interesting development and and i do think that when we we have you back for show 699 you know uh, we'll, 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 oh my gosh davis well anyway <laughs> after i put my teeth back in we have you back for 699 the um <laughs> i 
I think we'll look back on voice stuff now the way we look back on earlier in the show how hard it was to sync text to your iPad. I think this stuff is going to get a lot better as people use it more and the and and Google and Amazon and and Apple go to war to try and come up with the best answers to these problems. This week the Mac Power Users is sponsored by Fracture. Get your beautiful pictures off of your computer and onto your walls. Go to FractureMe.com slash podcast and make sure to mention Mac Power users in their one-question survey. I'm not sure how it happened, but we're in October now. This year seems to be flying by, and the holidays are sneaking up on you. Fracture is here to solve one of your holiday problems. Now, you know what I'm talking about. Every holiday, uh, the big day comes, you realize you don't have gifts for most people and you don't have anything good to give them. You run around at the last minute. Uh, instead of doing that this year, spend a few minutes online and get some gorgeous Fracture prints made as gifts. With Fracture, you can upload a photo through the web to their service. They then print it directly onto glass and add a laser cut rigid backing so they're ready to display right out of the box. This is far superior than having a picture blown up and going and trying to find a frame for it. First, the way they apply the image to the back of the glass makes it look like the image is actually on the surface of the glass. They're, they're really stunning to look at. Also, when you give someone a fracture print, there's no frame around it. It's The picture is its own thing, so it'll match any decor that your friends or family have. They even give you a wall anchor, so you just pull the fracture out of the box and hang it in minutes. It's really that simple. The best part is people just love these as gifts. You've got an iPhone in your pocket, so you can take amazing pictures of your brother's kids or your aunt's dog. And at the end of the day, you can put that into this amazing fracture print. When you give that as a gift, they're going to love it and hang it on their wall and enjoy it. A lot more than a pair of socks or something other dumb that you thought of at the last minute. Every Fracture comes with a 60-day happiness guarantee, so you're sure to love your order. Each Fracture is handmade in Gainesville, Florida, from U.S. source materials in their carbon-neutral factory. So I want everyone listening to me to think about this. Would a Fracture print make a great gift for someone in your life? I bet it would. And if so, visit FractureMe.com slash podcast. And don't forget to mention Mac Power users in their one-question survey. It helps support the show. That's FractureMe.com slash podcast. So we were talking a little bit about uh, using the various ladies and canisters, and that immediately makes me think about home automation, because that is one of my largest uses, whether it be for the Amazon Echo or whether it's for Siri. Um, are you using these devices for home automation or, or what are you doing in the home? Yeah, big time. We're, we're, we're pretty deep in. Um, we've got some... So we've got the Echoes, which I would very much count as part of that system. We've got a surpassing number of Hue lights. Um, we've got some motion detectors. We've got two different cameras. What else do we have? We've got a lot of stuff. Um, I've got stuff at the office where I'm just using uh, Wemo switches. Um, but I, I love those for work. But yeah, for home, we um, we do a lot of this stuff. And it was a pretty rough road at first, but there's definitely been a few things we've done that <laughs> have been game changers in terms of usability. Because let's just say for the sake of argument, there's one person who's much more tolerant of a lot of silly tech BS than the other two people are. 
But yeah, but I think there is actually a lot to be gained from this stuff uh, to improve your quality of life. And it doesn't always have to break the bank. So yeah, absolutely. Is there any particular technology standard that you've focused on? Like I've tried to find things that are only compatible with both HomeKit and Amazon Echo, but that, that seems to be harder and harder now. Well, one's definitely harder than the other. Um, for a long time, there were so few things that worked with Apple because I guess because of their you know increased security, privacy um, stuff. So which one was it? I think it might have, was it Hue? There was one hub that we had at one, it might have been Hue, where you had to get like a whole new version in order for it to work. Hue came out with a new hub because for a long time, Apple required that it, there be hardware encryption if you're going to use HomeKit. Okay, that explains it. Now they've changed it to software encryption. So like just today as we record this, uh, Hue has now their dimmer switches now work in HomeKit. They can be HomeKit triggers, which is a sign that, you know, things are softening up a little bit on Apple's end. That's that's good to hear. I mean, the Hue system, I would not recommend for everybody. I mean, in terms of getting started, uh, the Hue system is not for beginners because it is very costly and there's a lot of setup involved. Honestly, I mean, I, I, I hope Belkin is still in this business. I feel like they've gotten a little bit flabby about their products, but the Wemo switches to me are a great, or some, Zigbee in some cases, but the Wemo switches don't require any kind of hub. Uh, with the Wemo switch, essentially, you um, you say, like, for example, this lamp at my desk which is always in the on position, has a Wemo switch. I've got a Wemo motion detector. So if there's motion, the lights turn on. I've got three lights that turn on when it detects motion. They turn off after 30 minutes or if I've left the area. And that's all accomplished really through the app. So it's the app that's really on my phone that's that's doing all the heavy lifting with that. And then, of course, you can hook it up to if this, then that, et cetera. But I would say before you go really far in and drive your family or your partner crazy with this stuff, um, and there are a lot of ways to drive people crazy with this stuff. I would say make sure that this is right for you. Um, but then once you're in, there's all kinds of stuff you can do um, that's that that can really improve things. Mostly Hue, mostly Philips Hue stuff. I really like their products. Um, I wish they made a much brighter light bulb for old men who are going blind. But uh, but th- they're pretty great, and we uh, we use them all the time. I've got several Hue bulbs, but I'm actually looking at transitioning more to switches now around the house. Again, I just haven't found one that's compatible both with HomeKit and and Echo. But as soon as I do, I think I'm going to move some of my stuff over to switches. I found Hue bulbs are great for lamps and things like that. But for, you know, like my dining room lights or my, you know, my kitchen lights, I think I'd rather have a, a switch that I can just do everything at once. And you're starting to see more of those come out. I think that's a very, if you have a modern house where you have those kinds of options, that's a very good idea. Uh, we don't and can't, but I'll tell you, there's one. Oh, uh, because you need that neutral wire, right? Well, we couldn't have a nest. There's all kinds of stuff we can't do. But I'll tell you what, what is a game changer. And anybody who has this will tell you that this is what changes everything is a Philips product called the tap switch. And so, it, you know, time was you get your hue lights and you use your phone like some kind of discount George Jetson. Like, oh, I'm going to use my phone to turn the lights on and off, or I'm going to use my voice to turn the lights on and off. Oh, well, guess what? Everybody hates that. It's super annoying. You're sort of accidentally turning off somebody else's light. There, you, I make my daughter scream if I accidentally turn off her light, you know, while she's reading, going to sleep. Um, the tap switch, it's not cheap, but it's around 50 bucks. And you get this little switch that's got four buttons. It looks like three buttons, but it's actually four buttons. And so there's a big, there's like three round buttons surrounded by a button that's also a button. If you follow the negative space is also a button. So most people use that for off. But then you can bind uh, even a multi-room scene or setting 
to each one of those three buttons such that you put that up with a little bit of 3M tape on wherever you have a light switch normally, and now you've got a way to control your lights like a person. You can also use the dimmer. The dimmer's great. The dimmers were fantastic too. But like that is when everything got fun for us is when we got first got one of those and then got a couple more and now everybody knows how to use it. You're confident. And if anybody wants to change their scene or setting for the buttons, they know how to do it. And it's it's just been, you know, until you live in a true Jetsons house where everything is a switch and everything is intuitive, um, it's helpful to have a transitional device like the, like the tap switch or the dimmer. Um, and then of course you can do lots of stuff with motion detection and like we do tons of stuff where like, if, if there hasn't been motion in this area in this long, do the following kinds of things at, we have what are called routines in hue. So like if we're away, different rooms will be lit different way at different times. They've introduced some entropy to that where you can now have it be semi-random and how the lights turn on and off. Uh, you can do all of that stuff, but you, but at the heart of it, what is the one thing we all know about a switch on a light in the bathroom? When you hit a switch, the light should turn on. When you hit it again, it should turn off. And to to sell this stuff, especially with lights, uh, to normal people, I think it helps a lot to have a switch that does on and off. Yeah, and that that's why Katie's idea of going going to actual switches, uh, smart switches, is is great. I can tell you that because I went the Hue route, and my family did hate me over that. <laughs> and uh, so I, I have been uh, going to switches too. We're, we're actually going to do a show on this in two or three weeks. We've got a guy coming in who makes his living uh, installing um, uh, smart homes for people. And and I, I just emailed him, and he's at the conference. He's at the smart home conference. you know. So, so he's the one that turned me on to putting some switches on, and suddenly my whole family's into it now because – just like Merlin said, when you still can go to the wall and push a button and the lights turn on. And and the other problem with the Hue lights, when you have them on a switch-based lamp, uh, if the switch at the wall is turned off, all of your automation goes out the window because they're just there's no power there. Yeah, that's this is where it gets a little bit ugly. There have been a few cases where, well, for, first of all, you can buy these covers, these like child, semi-childproof covers. We've put that on a lot of the switches just so that we and our guests or whoever is in the house know not to leave that, turn that on and off. Because, yeah, obviously you, you lose the functionality. I mean, in the future, this will just be part of everything. I mean, I imagine. But, yeah. But then there also is a nice role for stuff that's as subtle as the proximity detection of your phone, like knowing that you've left an area do you want certain kinds of things can happen? Like, I don't want my cameras at home to be on all the time. I only want them to be on if nobody is home. And so we utilize um, that functionality. That's really handy. So we can just see if the cat's walking around or whatever. What kind of cameras are you using? Uh, inside, I have a uh, canary. And I also have an old drop cam that I am replacing uh, as soon as today with the new Nest IQ. Uh, the new Nest IQ, this has been an ongoing issue on some of my other shows. Uh, Nest IQ is amazing. It does face detection. It does zooming. It'll follow people as they walk around. But it wouldn't let you uh, do image rotation, which they have as of today, I think they're introducing in the app. So yeah, those are the two main ones that I use. I don't want too many cameras in the house. It kind of freaks me out. And like there are times where like if, if it's having trouble with proximity detection, I'll just unplug the camera because it just it seems gross. But it can be very handy, like if you want to just look in on the cat or just have your own sense of security that the place isn't on fire, it's a nice way to be able to look in. What do you, what do you all use for cameras? I've added a couple of very basic, you know, $40 or less D-Link cameras, and they're not the highest quality, but I've, I've connected them up through, um, I have a Synology, and Synology has a, a surveillance station app. Oh, wow. So I've connected them up through that, and the Synology surveillance station supports like hundreds of different cameras, so you can just 
find one that works. And I had these D-Link cameras, so I started with them. You can obviously upgrade to higher ones. But I like it because it keeps all of my camera data local. So I'm not sharing it to some cloud service and knowing where it is, you know, and and who's using it. And the other thing that I've done, just because I'm a, I'm a little yeah, about having, you know, cameras in the house, is I've connected all of my cameras to Wemo switches. So I have a physical kill switch to all of my cameras. And I've connected that through if this, then that. So if I leave the house, the Wemos turn on, which means the cameras activate. And if I come oh, right. home to the house, uh, the Wemos turn off, which means the cameras aren't active when I'm home. That's so good. Wemo has, in my experience, very good proximity stuff. My canary gets very confused sometimes, but um, that's a really clever idea. They also, there's other ones. The, there's the Arlo the way the problem with a lot of these is it's it's sort of like getting into 4k tv uh it's like there's there's so many bewildering options limitations and things you never could have anticipated one way a lot of these fall short is the software is just not very good there's some where you go like oh i'm getting a really good deal on this on this cheap camera but some of the software just makes me not want to trust it and then you do discover what the limitations are in terms of integrations this is another thing where it, it really helps to have a sherpa if you're going to get into this stuff have somebody walk you through what you, not what you want to buy. Start with talk, talking to somebody about what you want to accomplish. And that's that's going to go a long way towards saving you money and aggravation. Yeah, I feel like the cameras in particular is Wild West right now. And almost none of them work with HomeKit. And so that's, I, I've got the canaries. I've got two canaries and I, I pay for the service where it's, I think for a week it saves things. And we've got it, we've got the proximity stuff turned on. But I mean, honestly, they're, the way the cameras are situated in the house, they're not in the bedrooms. And I, uh, if you, if you were to hack my feed, you'd see me sitting there typing at a computer for long stretches <laughs> at a time. The frustrating thing about the canary, and I don't know of another way around this, it's, it's, it's a very clever device. And in certain instances, it's the no brainer. Uh, but like one thing that it does is it's pretty smart about knowing when to flip on, I guess what infrared, it'll switch to a different camera mode and it'll turn on these infrared lights. But <laughs> When the infrared, sometimes when it turns on, but especially when it turns off, like it's daylight out, something happens where it sets itself off. Do you ever get a notification because it just changed modes? No. I <laughs> it's totally crazy making. The other thing that I give myself a little bit of a scare is I'll be, I'll forget that I just used screens a minute ago. So, so my office computer lit up and that set off the canary and I'm like, oh. ah, 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 what's happening? <laughs> I could see that. <laughs> like I just hacked yeah. myself. <laughs> yeah. It is. The nice thing about the canary, although like I said, it doesn't have home kit. I'm really going for a home kit thing these days, but, but they have an alarm in them, you know? So it's like when we're on vacation, uh, it is real time. If I saw a burglar in there, I could push a button and my house would have screaming alarms in it. And that, I like that. Um, and most cameras don't have that. And that's a nice feature. I still use a more tra traditional, but a, but a DIY installed alarm system, because I, I know you can hack together and Nest just came out with a, with a new smart home alarm system and Ring just came out with a new smart home alarm system, but they are still in the coming soon phase for having a product that will actually call law enforcement to your house. And that is that is very important to me because I I want to know that if the alarm system goes off and I'm not home and I don't catch the notification or I'm not near my phone because I'm in meetings a lot or I'm in court or I'm unavailable, 
that someone's going to my house and checking out what's going on. You know, so I, I actually went with the Simply Safe, which is the complete dumbest product that you can ever buy. And I, I mean that from a, a technology standpoint. It's it's a fine product, but um it, it has really very minimal technology smarts to it. But what it will do is for fifteen bucks a month, is it which is one of the cheapest plans you can find, is it will call, it has a monitoring system and it will call me. And if I don't call them back immediately and cancel the alarm, um, it will call law enforcement and then it will call like my, my parents who live in town and my brother who live in town and say, Hey, Katie's alarm's going off and, and she's not answering. Oh, wow. That's an interesting idea. Merlin, man, I'm so glad we had you back on the show. Oh, thank you for having me team. It's my pleasure to be here. I've missed you. Well, I really appreciate you having me. Thank you for doing what y'all do. Hey, uh, so let's just talk a little bit about all the things you're doing these days. Um, reconcilable differences, <laughs> you and John Syracuse. It's one of my drugs. I love listening to it. Um, it's, it's my walk show. You know, I take a walk. I listen to the two of you talk to each other. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. I do four podcasts in the main. I do Reconcilable Differences. I do Back to Work with Dan Benjamin. I do uh, Do by Friday with Max Temp- Temkin and Alex Cox. Uh, who am I leaving out? Roderick on the line, John Roderick. So that keeps me pretty busy, and I'm always in the market to maybe consider doing another one. But that's uh, that's what I'm doing these days, and it keeps me busier than you'd expect. I I I, I get it, <laughs> having done this a few times. <laughs> I understand. It's only in the last few months I've made I've made my peace with something. I feel like I first heard Mike Hurley say this probably on Hello Internet. I or maybe it might have been Jason Snell. I've come to accept that as lazy as it makes me seem, it takes a surprising amount of energy to record a one to two hour podcast, like more than it seems like. And I'm learning to accept that. And it's made me a happier person. Now that I know I need to recover and I'm letting myself have permission to recover. And I feel, I, I, I you know, I'm, I no longer feel unmanly to admit that it's been a really good thing for me. And I enjoy it all more knowing that sometimes I just need to just go be quiet and not talk for a while. I used to always like give myself tasks. You know, when I do my morning run, I'm like, okay, I'm going to record the show. And then the evening I'm going to work on that brief or work on that screencast. And now I have accepted that I can never do anything that requires brain power after I've recorded a show. And these are just fun. We're sitting here talking, having a good time, but for some reason it does take a lot out of you. You may not feel it immediately. It may, it may only be like an hour later, but like I already have this, uh, when we had a baby, we would always call it unhappy hour. I don't know if you ever call it that, but that time between like five and seven, every kid has a time when they get really cranky and it's not even just before bedtime, but there's this sudden like unexplicable change in mood. I've learned to accept that my energy ebbs in the afternoon and around five o'clock, I get a little bit brain dead. I'll pick up again in a couple hours, but uh, this is not about productivity. It's just a life thing, but like realizing what your patterns of energy are and then honoring it and being honest about it is such a good thing to do for yourself. Amen, brother. Well, well, thank you again for coming on the show and uh, we will have you back sometime soon. Um, Everybody else, uh, please go listen to Merlin's podcast one of my favorite people on the internet and I'd like to say one of my best friends so uh, check him out oh thank you buddy thank you so much for having me I enjoy your program thanks Katie see you later Merlin